Tweet at SFM Radio and at Patricia M. Dooley. Social Conversations. Let me uh, correct something, A-Team, as our WhatsApp line is still currently down, so you can't WhatsApp, you can SMS. SMS on 41391, and you can call on 011-714-2006, especially if you're a keen um, a person when it comes to uh, education and the likes. I'd like to welcome Dr. Danish, who is the professor at the Department of Communication Arts at the University of Waterloo in Canada. Professor Danish, uh, good um, evening and thank you very much for joining us. Hi, Patricia. Thanks for having me on your show. I know you're currently in Canada, so it's evening for us here and uh, you've gracefully given us a couple of minutes of your day. So uh, talk to us about uh, how the online learning space is going to shape teaching and the way uh, students consume this sort of education. Well, I don't think we know yet what the long-term consequences of this kind of massive shift to remote learning are for students or for faculty. But it looks like, at least here in Canada, that some of the changes that have happened in the last year are going to be permanent, that there's going to be a lot more opportunity for students to take online or remote classes and perhaps a lot less opportunity for students to engage with other students and with faculty in in in-person, small classroom settings. And I think that's really kind of worrisome, at least it's worrisome to me. Um, And I think that's worrisome because there's this mistake where we assume that all the content that we offer in an in-person class can just be magically transformed into like a YouTube video or a podcast or some sort of online medium and then transferred over to the student who's sitting at home alone as if nothing is lost by doing it that way as opposed to some other way. And I think there are lots of things that are lost when a student's just alone in their room watching their computer and not in a classroom. But what what if uh, people say then uh, we've got platforms that allow engagement online? Would that not then take away, um, you know, just the anxiety from education fraternity to say, if we are able to connect via Zoom or via Skype, I can see you as my lecturer, you can see me, I can ask questions. And other people who are part of this lecture are also part of it. So minds are able to interact. Would that not counteract? Yeah, I know what you're saying. And what you're describing is what we're calling synchronous online learning, where all the students at the same time have logged on. But uh, so I oversee a large first year program in my university, and we have about um, 110 courses of 25 students, and some of them are synchronous. But those synchronous activities are not the same as an in-person activity. And the reason they're not the same is that the students can easily turn off their video cameras. They can easily be multitasking while they're, they're listening to a lecture or trying to engage with other students. And really what's going on is that teachers are just trying to simulate what would happen in the classroom in a remote setting, assuming that the obstacles or the problems that the remote setting can, can produce are just going to kind of magically be dealt with somehow as if they were the same thing. So these synchronous conversations, yes, they can work, um, but they still also, I think, miss some important feature of what happens in person. Sure. I I get worried because education is uh, the cornerstone of any society. I mean, the more knowledge we achieve and we acquire, we are able to, 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 to develop our various countries. So, with online learning becoming so prevalent due to COVID-19, 
What are some of the challenges that you are seeing with the online learning platforms itself? Because even all the way to um, primary school, online learning is starting to be the, the, the thing or the way that education is being disseminated. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic question. And that really gets at the kind of crux of the problem from my perspective. So one of the things we learn in school, whether it's elementary school or university, is how to get along with others. We have to interact with others and others that are different from us, that have different opinions, different ideas, different belief systems. And those interactions are transformative. So we're changed by an encounter we have with a classroom, in, in a classroom, whether that encounters with a professor, an elementary school teacher, or friends, or collaborators, or other students. It's the interactions that can change who we are and how we think. Um, so my worry is that we may be equipping students with this body of knowledge. So it may be easy in an online setting to give them all the knowledge, say, they need about biology or physics or history. Um, but if they miss out on those encounters, they won't learn the skills they need to negotiate difference, to negotiate kind of uh, the complexities of the interactions that are inevitable in our society. It seems like, you know, the online learning might be a bit of a breather for um, lecturers and teachers um, because th there's no noise, you know, there's no settle down, come into class, stop that, do that. It's everyone is geared to go, or at least the educator thinks so, and they are doing their job. But the disadvantage will come definitely from the children, as you are saying, uh, Prof, that the interaction with um, th the education material um, and with each other and with their educator is going to be lacking so it seems if this happens for me it seems like we are going to churn graduates who are not going to be able to partake in our society yeah i think that's right so like professors are famously happy to hear themselves talk and hear their own voice and we have this image of a university as a lecture hall where there is a professor standing at the front of the room just pontificating on something while students sit and listen and passively consume what they have to say that's not really all that education is. It's not an apt description, at least for our students in Canada, of what they're doing in all of their classes. Um, and in fact, it's probably not even a very good indication of what a quality education looks like. Um, and that's if we just reduce education to that. And, and that's easy and it's possible in an online setting. It's possible to do that remotely. Um, but I think that the encounter is what equips us with the thinking skills we need to navigate a complex world. So right now, I don't know what uptake on vaccines are like in South Africa, but we have a, a problem with vaccine hesitancy, for example. Yes. And people want evidence that the vaccine works. They, they have to make this difficult decision about what to do. And I think people are well-intentioned. They have their own health to consider, but they have to negotiate that evidence, think through it, uh, find it, criticize it, talk about it, all these skills that are necessary to make a good decision. And if we're, we don't have those skills, then we might go down the rabbit hole of conspiracy theories. We might just stick our head in the sand and say, forget it. Like, I know everything I need to know. 
those are not good attitudes for navigating the complexity of the world. And I've got a, a sort of feeling that with the, so much information that is available to us uh, on the World Wide Web, um, that other people might end up saying, look, I don't think I should pursue a university education. I mean, I can get everything I need to know online. And, um, yeah. you know, it really doesn't make any difference to me. And how will we be able to counter that as, as parents, as um, the you know, people in, in, in the education fraternity? Yeah, this is what worries me perhaps most. So, um, I mean, I make, my, I make my living as a professor. So I worry most about a student that comes to me and says, you know what, I'm not going to go to university because I can learn everything I need to learn through YouTube videos or free online classes. And that's only true if you think about education as this kind of transmission of a body of knowledge. And I think universities have been really, really good for the last 100, 150 years at producing new knowledge. Um, but now that new knowledge is so readily and easily available through all sorts of media that the university has to think, okay, what am I going to tell the student they're getting in addition to that body of knowledge? What other things do they get while they're at in, in a university setting that they cannot get on their own or from a YouTube video? Um, and I think in the next you know, 10, 20, 30 years, universities need to be really proactive about spelling those other things out or else we might lose students who just think they can watch a YouTube video and know everything they need to know. Yeah, I do agree with you. They spell the things out that they will be getting as added value and also, I think, reconsider pricing. In South Africa, uh, higher education is not cheap at all. Uh, let's go to one of our listeners. Atima Asande is on the line. Good evening. Good evening, Sister. How are you? Excellent. Thank you. Long time. Long time indeed. Uh, can I just weigh in? And I've also greeted your guest there. Um, so no, this is kind of like a, uh, an interesting topic in one sense, in the sense that with higher institutions of learning and their primary, primary uh, core business being that they produce students who are going to come back and serve their communities uh, as, as the core underlying, cementing, um, I think, uh, premise of why someone would go to a higher institution of learning or, or, or university, right? Now, with the dawn and the era of, of the uh, technological divide with our, um, with our gradual moving towards the fourth industrial revolution, and indeed embracing it where we can, because we have no choice, there's no other way that we may engage except for this new way, um, I think it has its perks, but I'm wondering how students may navigate, first of all, the, or how universities may negotiate how to inculcate in, in the student at the forefront of their minds the idea that, first of all, a higher institution of learning education is meant that you, you are able to serve your community. I would think with, 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 with technology, that, that would act as a catalyst towards that. But I think on a second scale, how would universities actually negotiate issues of plagiarism there? Because we do know that when students were attending on a personal scale, um, able to engage with their lecturers uh, on a face-to-face -face basis, then the, the, there were ways in which the, the lecturer may mark the, the assignments of the students and indeed uh, somewhat um, also guide them. So, I mean, I have questions as it relates to how would they verify whether this is the authentic work of the student and so forth. And lastly, before I just part, I'm really concerned about... Um, 
Asandi, Hi, Mama. You know you have not taken a, a breather. Can we allow? No. So you okay. you want to ask the third question, but let's allow Professor Danish to answer um, the first two. Okay. All right. In terms of how will you create the leaders that will go out to society and also um, plagiarism? At least on the plagiarism note, I do know that the assignment that I've recently submitted at the university that I'm currently doing online courses with, and it's it's not easy, I must say. Um, there's a, there's a, an online software that we submit in and it will scan. <laughs> it scans yeah. your assignments and then, well, at least that's what is happening on my side. But yeah, Professor, please come in and answer Sandra before she yeah. goes on again. <laughs> well, that first question is, is an excellent, excellent question and something that's very much on my mind also. And it's not an easy one to answer. I think part of the problem with technologies uh, like uh, Zoom and Facebook and Twitter and social media is that they're actually really isolating. They pretend to connect you to other people, but the research shows that they're alienating and isolating. And so they keep us from feeling a, a community engagement. Mm. And I think if a university reproduces the kind of feeling of alienation and isolation in their students and a kind of disconnection from the university community itself, then no, we're not going to, to train people to think about what they can give to back to a community, how they might lead a community, what their responsibilities are to others. I think that's one of the things that's lost when we move out of the classroom and into this kind of online setting. Um, my university and I think other universities in North America think deeply about what it means to train people for citizenship. And citizenship is about participating in collective large-scale problem solving. Um, and those are thinking skills. Those are skills in collaboration. Uh, those are skills in decision-making. Um, those are skills in knowledge dissemination. And those are the skills that leaders need. And I think it's less likely that those skills will be mastered in kind of remote settings and why we need to preserve some in-person classes. Um, the second question is also like not easy to answer. Uh, so we too use this software uh, that, that you described. Uh, is it the best thing? I don't know. Um, I worry that students are always going to outpace professors in their knowledge of technology and how to wield it to get grades and do less work. And it also seems to me that that's harder to do in, in person. So in my classes, we have like oral exams. The student can't cheat. Like he or she is sitting right in front of me. I ask them questions, they can answer the question or not answer the question. So I would worry about students sort of outperforming or outpacing knowledge of professors and um, being able to turn in work that that isn't fairly done in their own voice. Um, so those are do both, I think, significant concerns. Well, Asanda's still on the line. Eighty Asanda, let's go with your last one. Right. Thank you so much. And I, I, I had hoped that he would highlight those challenges because I think they do present themselves as challenges really. So, I mean, I think, let me commend the, 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 the can, can I call it an upgrade to a, te a technological world? That's great. It's going to ensure that we unlearn. I mean, it's going to um, compel people to unlearn. But my question is this. Now, um, as we unlearn, how, how, is the, how is the digital divide going, the rural digital divide between these two, you know, 
uh, there are students, obviously, that have never used a computer before in their lives. It's the first time they actually get to touch the computer when they get to the university. What then? I mean, this is, this is my question, and that's my parting yeah. short. So how do we ensure that they actually, um, we do not leave them behind, as we've always marginalized, rural communities and other vulnerable groups. Thank you ever so much. Thank you very much, Aitima Sanda. Very pertinent questions there. Um, uh, Prof, and I mean, just to set the landscape in South Africa, um, you know, we are developing and our infrastructure is one that we cannot uh, dance about or sing about because... Uh, look, we have power outages so often, but not only that, uh, we also have very high cost of connecting to the internet. And to top that off, there's a huge divide in our education system between those who have and those who don't have. Rural communities and then, uh, you know, uh, township communities are also in the peripheral of this technological advancement. So how do you feel this will exasperate the current problem that we are facing with um, online learning. I hate to be a downer, but like I think it, I think it's going to exacerbate those problems. Mm-hmm. So in Canada, it's not that different. We have indigenous communities in the north; uh, they don't have ready access to the internet. Uh, like, how is this going to help encourage those communities to come into university? It's, it's not. I, th- I think there's a, a myth about technology that it is fundamentally democratizing, that somehow the benefits of technology can be equitably distributed to everyone because it's so easy to just log on to your course. But that's just simply not true. Um, We know now at the end of like maybe 10 or 15 years of studying the the uptake in digital technology that there is a divide, it is inequitable, and that divide will get worse if access to university is restricted to only those who have the technological means to get at it like that that's just going to continue to be a problem we're, we're not going to solve it so uh, yeah i think that uh i guess i'm sounding like a downer here and a uh you know i don't have a rosy picture to, to paint but i think it's going to continue to be a problem that will be made worse not better Listen, if we move t- entirely online dr danish i i totally agree with you i know the frustrations of having to miss i think in the last two months i've probably missed about four lectures so that's yeah. literally half the lectures in two months because we had no power. And yeah. and and obviously you can't even if you've charged your uh, laptop or your device, when you have no power, your device that needs to connect you to the Internet does not work. So it's, it's really something that I think that we need to consider and keep on talking about um, so that education doesn't become a thing of the past because education is the future. So are there any... Pointers that we can um, part with in terms of what can be done. Yes, we've got this pandemic. We've got this crisis called COVID nineteen. It has changed everything: the way people work, the pe- way people interact, the way people study, the way people, you know, live in general. So, what is it that we can take from you as a parting shot that will either inspire hope or inspire action? Yeah. So, I, I think the the important message is that. Education is not just about the acquisition of knowledge. You can acquire knowledge through technology, but that's not what education is. Education is an event. It's something that happens between me and you or me and my classmates or my professor and I. It's an interactive and transformative event. And if you think about it as a transformative or an interactive event, 
something that changes me and makes me a better person after it. And if those are the values guiding our educational policies and choices, then we can responsibly use technology to facilitate those events and interactions. Like in some of the ways you described, Patricia, at the beginning of the interview with synchronous meetings where we connect people at a distance and they can interact in, in important ways. So as long as those values, that kind of conception of education as interactive, eventful, transformative is prioritized over knowledge dissemination, I think we can still use technology to facilitate those ends. Thank you so very much for joining us, uh, uh, Prof. It's been such a great pleasure. I think um, we should have another discussion around this. For me, education needs to be given its space, but it also needs to be uh, allowed to meander these new changes that we are facing due to COVID-19. Thanks so much, Patricia, for having me. That was uh, Professor Robert Danish, uh, who is a professor of uh, communication arts at the University of Waterloo in Canada. A-teamers, you know what's coming up in the next four minutes. It's going to be time for the news with Greg Close. And straight after that, we get saucy in our closet conversations on a Tuesday because uh, Coach Matawe Matsapula is going to be joining us. Uh, She's going to be helping us to understand the dangers and the advantages of opening up and disclosing to your partner what you earn.